Do you ever get tempted to do the wrong thing? Does sin seem really, really attractive? And sometimes you can't stop yourself from indulging in sin. Well, that's the same for all of us. We all get tempted. But how do we resist these temptations? You're listening to the Youth Bible in One Year, day 324. In today's devotion, You Can Resist Evil, we have some encouraging Bible verses about how we resist evil, how we resist a temptation, and we don't fall into sin, but instead resist evil. With the rise of global terrorism, world leaders have spoken a great deal about vanquishing evil. But as one writer in The Guardian pointed out, their rhetoric reveals a failure to accept that cruelty and conflict are basic human traits. As Albert Einstein said, I do not fear the explosive power of the atom bomb. What I fear is the explosive power of evil in the human heart. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there such a battle with evil in our own lives? How can you resist the devil? What will happen to the devil at the end of time? From Proverbs 28 Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. The one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Confess and renounce evil. Here is the answer to evil in our own lives. Those who conceal their sins do not prosper, but those who confess and renounce them find mercy. The writer of Proverbs speaks of different types of evil. Murder, leading the upright along an evil path, developing selective hearing towards the law, charging exorbitant interest and hard-heartedness. He also speaks about evil rulers. When good people are promoted, everything's great. But when the bad are in charge, watch out. Among leaders who lack insight, abuse abounds. We've seen this in recent years. In, for example, Syria, Libya, Iraq, Zimbabwe, North Korea, Sudan, and so on. Good leadership is so important. He says that an evil leader is like a roaring lion or a charging bear, ruling over a helpless people. The Apostle Peter describes the devil as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When you confess your sins, God offers mercy. You can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. You find mercy by admitting and leaving them. Or as St. John puts it, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, thank you for this wonderful promise that when I confess my sins and renounce them, I find mercy. New Testament from James 4 What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? 
Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Resist the devil. Why is there so much division in the world? James gives us an uncomfortable answer. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. The Bible acknowledges the human sources of evil, but also points to a deeper source. All human beings have evil tendencies. This chapter is focused on the key battleground in the fight against evil ourselves. Evil must be resisted. But how can you win this battle? The first problem that James identifies is that when we want something, we go out there and fight for it rather than asking God. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. The lure of the pleasures of this world is so strong, but God wants us to be faithful to him. When we pursue the pleasures of this world, we become adulterous in our relationship with God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He goes on to say, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting, with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and His way. This upsets the Holy Spirit. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely? We grieve the Holy Spirit when we go after other gods. It's also possible to sin by not doing something. Sin is not just doing what we know is wrong. It's also failing to do what we know is right. In fact, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that, for you, is evil. You cannot overcome evil on your own. Yet here is the remarkable thing. He gives us more grace. God does not condemn you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives you more grace to overcome evil. Submit yourself humbly to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. These are wonderful promises worth learning by heart. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. How do you do this? He goes on to explain. Quit dabbling in sin. It's no good thinking you can live a holy life and hang on to just a little bit of sin in your life. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Get down on your knees before the master. 
God does not leave us there. Getting down on our knees is the way to get back on our feet. As we recognize our own shortcomings, we realize we're in no position to judge anyone else. The best way to forget the faults of others is to remember our own. As we ourselves are lawbreakers, who are we to sit around judging other people? There's only one who's qualified to be the judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Another evil is self-importance, to be full of your grandiose selves. We brashly announce, today, at the latest, tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. It is good to plan ahead, but at the end of the day, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You are totally dependent on God. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. The expression God willing should not be a formality. Rather, it should express the reality of a heart that recognizes that God is ultimately in control and you're not. The prayer of your heart should be your will be done. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Old Testament from Ezekiel 38 and 39 I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be confident in the triumph of good. Evil will not have the last word. Good will ultimately triumph. God is sovereign, even over a global pandemic. As St. Thomas Aquinas put it, God is so powerful that he can direct any evil to a good end. Ezekiel prophesies against Gog of the land of Magog. I am against you, O Gog. The identities of Gog and Magog seem to be deliberately mysterious, but Ezekiel uses them to represent the archetypal enemies who cook up an evil plot against God's people. This identification becomes clearer in the book of Revelation, which describes the end of the world and the destruction of Satan. Gog and Magog are identified with Satan and used to represent all the evil forces and people of the earth. The message of both Revelation and Ezekiel is clear. God wins. This is essentially a message of hope. God says, I will execute judgment on Satan. So I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. The context in Ezekiel is that the people were exiled because they were unfaithful to God. So he hid his face from them and handed them over to their enemies. Now he promises that a day will come when evil will fall. God will be glorified. The day I'm glorified will be a memorable day for them. He promises that he will have compassion on them. I'll be compassionate with all the people of Israel. I'll use them to demonstrate my holiness with all the nations watching. After I poured my spirit on Israel, filled them with my life, I'll no longer turn away. I'll look them full in the face.
These are amazing promises. Satan is a defeated foe. His end will come. You can begin to experience that victory right now. You can resist evil. Lord, thank you that the powers of evil have been defeated. May there be a great outpouring of your Spirit so that everyone will know that you are the Lord our God. Pippa adds, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. These are powerful verses that I have recited many times when I've been feeling under attack by fear or discouragement. Let's pray. Lord, today I come near to you. I fall at your feet and I ask that you would come closer to me. Help me today to resist evil and to do good for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.